What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of Pending Final. Today, we are going to take it way back. We are going to do the history of visual effects. That is right. We are going to cover over a hundred years of visual effects in an hour. But um, thank you for everyone who's reached out to us. I know we kind of had a week between an episode, but as you guys know, me and Helen are actually working in the visual effect industry and our shows got a bit crazy. But we are back with a passion and we're going to kick things off. Helen is going to take us up to all the way up to the year 2000. And then I will bring in with some of the, uh, the more modern revolutions to visual effects. So handing it over to Helen. Yeah. So um, this is something that I totally nerd out over and I love it very, very much. So uh, Shannon, please feel free to edit out any <laughs> rambling that I go on. Um <laughs> But um, I know a lot of people consider um, Georges Méliès uh, the sort of the person who did the very first visual effects movie, and that is true. But there was a I guess I guess you can call it a short uh, in 1895 called The Execution of Mary Queen of Scots, and for this. Um, the Mary Queen of Scots, she goes up to the uh, chopping block, she puts her head down, and she gets her head chopped off. And then the executioner lifts her head up and is like, oh, look, I've got the lady's head. Um, and that was done by, um, they got the actress in, she laid her head down, then they stopped filming. Um, they had a mannequin that they replaced her with, and then they started filming again, and he chopped off the mannequin's head and took it off. And then there you go. That, that's the first ever spe like special effect that we've, or illusion that ever, was ever created. And it's funny, that technique is actually still used today. I, I think the amount of times I've used that in like my own short films. Yeah, it's things. one of the easiest ways to do things. And it's funny, they actually, they didn't actually do it very well, but I just watched the 40th <laughs> anniversary of, no, 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 I actually watched the 40th anniversary of Alien the other day, and they do the same thing where they replace, like, Ash with all of a sudden this mannequin to then him, and yeah, I, I, it could have been fixed in an edit, but yeah, it kind of, like, a person kind of walked in front of it, and we all kind of giggled in the cinema. So even in modern, kind, well, I say modern, but in modern day cinema, even the technique, if you don't get it quite right, so <laughs> yes <laughs> but no well that's what i love about that first one is we still use that technique today you just lock the camera off and if you kind of make sure people don't move it's great after that um we had a ridiculously inspiring person georges melier uh he was a he was an illusionist first of all so he would do actual uh, magic on stage and he sort of found that you could do even more impressive things if you're doing them on film um so he he did a lot of uh short pieces and incorporated those into his uh stage uh performances but his sort of the, the amazing one that, that everyone talks about is the trip to the moon. And he built um, enormous sets and he used forced perspective and also like he, he used everything that was available to him that was non-digital that he could possibly use. Uh, he had um, sheets of glass that had things painted on them so that he could show environments. Oh, so, so, he, so, he, was, so he almost was doing like the first uh, like digital matte painting then. With the glass and things, All, like almost, yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I guess I guess you could call it that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's a bit different because it was on the glass. Was it on the glass in front of the camera? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's sort of similar idea. But, yeah, so um, he was masking things out, and he um, he had, as you would on a, a stage play, he had all these mechanically operated pieces of scenery um and obviously by the magic of film is you can't see all the pulleys and you can't see people moving things so it appears that this rocket is going to the moon um but he also um for trip to the moon he also had uh, color in his film um, which was hand oh. done um i believe it was an almost entirely female uh, workforce um, and they would literally colour by hand with a paintbrush um, onto the onto the celluloid um, oh wow it was very very small amount and obviously it wasn't perfect um, but I think there was a there was quite a lot of copies of this film made with the coloured with the coloured portions I say I confess I when I watched it in my like film one oh one class or whatever, I, I we must have not had the colored version. <laughs> that or I don't remember. But because um, this is the one where the, the rocket goes into the eye. Yes, um, exactly. Yes. Which is funny, it still sneaks into commercials in modern day. Like I think I saw a clip of it very recently. Yes. In and uh, and again, as you guys listeners have realized, we've mentioned the VES Awards, the Visual Effects Society, and actually the trophy for the Visual Effects Society is is that shot. Yes, it's it's if you've ever you 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 would you would have seen it around. Um, I've seen people with it as tattoos. Um, like I said, like you said, these the award the trophy itself is a homage to to this movie um but did you know that trophy lights up it does it lights up yeah (gasps) it does when we when we won for jungle book um uh one of the supervisors brought it in and yeah it it lights up at the face (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so the another another way that people might have seen this um sort of brought up was there was a film in 2011 called Hugo uh it was by Martin Scorsese um yes I think it won a visual effects Oscar um actually you know I'm gonna check that right now um you keep you keep chatting I will I'll I'll check yes uh, so so it won best cinematography best art direction best sound mixing best sound editing and best visual effects it is not in my opinion i do not think this is a good movie this is one of the first movies i actually went i'm actually tempted to walk out of this movie oh wow because it was both boring and not to me it did not look well put together Mm. and i'm not sure how it got these awards (laughs) hot take hugo's a bad film (laughs) politics yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah, so this, um, this movie is about a kid who, um, work, who lives in a train station for whatever reason. Um, and he ends up encountering Georges Méliès and it's, it's a, such a strange story and it's, um, so if you see the, the, like the iconic, uh, trip to the moon, uh, 
what's it called iconography and it, yeah it's it's all it's all very strange <laughs> oh okay yeah no i i never i remember cuz i was working at a film school when it came out that everyone was going on about it and because i was like the visual effects student and things like everyone was like oh yeah you're going to really like this blah, blah blah and i just never I never watched it. I felt bad. We even had like the screeners, the VES screeners, because one of our tutors was in the visual effects society and I just gave it a pass. I'm kind of kicking myself now, but yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'm not kicking myself now because if it's crap, then <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> not bad. Cool. So what's up next? The next thing that usually comes up in a timeline of like visual effects and uh, sort of the, the history of it is the great train robbery. Oh, yes. um, which has this urban legend about how people thought that the train was coming towards them and they all ran screaming from the theatre, uh, which never actually happened. And oh, did it not? film lecturers oh. apparently keep telling people that it did happen. Yes. But there are I got told accounts, at least four times. Yeah, there are accounts oh, of people it. who were there who say that that never happened. So yeah. uh, it's um, I think it's one of those things where people try and glamorise just how impressive the visual effects were. And they absolutely were because it was, um, compositing several images together and, and using mats and it was all you know cutting edge technology but nobody ran screaming from the theatre I'm sad to say damn it kill my illusion thank you very I much I know um, so the next oh, well. uh, stop on the history train is uh, 1925 um, we had a film called The Lost <laughs> World <laughs> and and then in 1926 there was Metropolis so these were um, I love Metropolis stop oh. motion at the it's most cutting edge um, it's and also um, forced perspective in, in Metropolis um, there's these are all things that are used constantly today. Um, mm -hmm. Stop motion, obviously, we've got our incredible uh, Leica and Ardman who do, you know, pretty stunning stuff. Um, and then for forced perspective, if anyone... Just think, could, just think about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> pretty much. I was, that was exactly what I was going to say. Lord of the Rings is the most modern... I mean, yeah... We touch Lord of the Rings. I've got a segment on that one, so I'll get to that. We'll come back to Force Perspective I when Lord of the Rings comes be up. Glad but, yeah. to hear that. Um, so we'll breeze past some of the other things that came out uh, between these times. Uh, obviously, we've got things like Ben Hur in 1926 and Mighty, like uh, just. King Kong is obviously a big one, but that was also stop motion. And I think also, was that slightly animatronic? Or um, am I jumping ahead? Am I, I don't think it was. If okay. it was anything, it would have been a, a puppet, but it was probably all stop motion. Um, okay. But so, like I say, we can sort of breeze past a lot of this. Um, people started to use blue screen or green screen, depending on what their what the talent is wearing so mm -hmm. you can't have as i have found to my great detriment uh filming men in green army fatigues on a green screen background does not necessarily work out no um just throwing that out there i wasn't the one who decided to put it on green screen but it did make things a lot harder for everyone working on it a lot of garbage mats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's sort of between sort of like 1935 and like 1940, 50, you're, that's where we're seeing people, compositing is sort of coming out where you can use a, a 
coloured mat. Another forced perspective one um, was another one that was kind of shown was the uh, cabinet of Dr. Caligari, mm. which I'm you're going to have to forgive me. I don't know the year, but I want to say it was similar to the time of Metropolis and things. And it was also a good use of forced perspective. And it's, it's a bit more indie, but it was also uh, uh, not indie, but um, 1920. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and <laughs> I say you're good, you're good on the facts and the years um, and the Googling. But um, I certainly am. I'm excellent at Googling. <laughs> but that one really stood out to me as well. And But Metropolis, oh, God. Now, here's an interesting fact about Metropolis. Excuse me. Here's an interesting fact about Metropolis. It is very difficult to find the full edit because it has been cut down so much somehow my brother has the actual full long version i think he got it from a film tutor at kansas university or something like that but it is very difficult there's like 15 minutes missing somewhere and things like that but uh yes metropolis i mean oh my god you can that one's a big one in lots of culture as well like you still see things influenced by it and whatnot but yeah yeah um, also about stop motion, um, we are going to jump a little bit ahead to 1960, um, or 1963 in fact, because uh, unfortunately there was this little little thing happening 1930s and 40s, this you know world war that stopped people from being yeah. able to do a huge amount of innovation in film because they were too busy doing innovation in like war. Warfare. Um, <laughs> imagine that. Um, <laughs> Minor yeah. detail, you know. Um, the probably n- most notable thing around this time is going to be Jason and the Argonauts yes. uh, from our oh, great, yes. great Ray Harryhausen. And I feel I like you want to say, <laughs> I feel like you've got something to say about man. him. No, I just, I just love Ray Harryhausen. Now I get some of his stuff mixed up. I think it's Jason and the Argonauts, but yeah. that the skeleton scene, which I think yeah. is what you're going to talk about. It is, exactly. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. I'm just, I love this. Yes, it's really Ray impressive. Oh, he inspires me so much. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's iconic and it, it gets borrowed by other, not necessarily like the shots themselves, but at least the, the setup and how it all plays out seems to get borrowed in other movies. Because um, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that scene is the first time that, that live action interacted, interacted with. Because yeah. yes, we yeah we had the stop motion with King Kong where she, you know, the hand reached in and grabbed her, but then you could tell that was like a little puppet. Whereas this was, I mean, I'm still fascinated to this day, like how they got the sword. Obviously, they did they filmed the live action plate first and then did the stop motion yeah. to make but oh my god and like the way they would kick the heads and they'd spin around and oh yeah, yeah. it's love um, it. love it's, it, love it, love it's it. really iconic and if you haven't seen it at least google the like go on youtube there will be a clip of it someone will have uploaded it somewhere um just of this uh the skeleton battle sequence because it's uh it's astonishing well, yeah, um, and then I mean, even that also. I think that's the one that has the Colossus in it as well, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think so. Hang so on, let me. I'm just gonna that, check. And uh, I know there's the um. Or no, my I'm the, oh, that might be Clash of the Titans. Um, Clash of the Titans was the other big one because I was just about to say the Medusa scene, but that was Clash of the Titans. That is Clash of the Titans, yeah. And because I was also going to say I love the owl, but that's Clash of the Titans, which I little Easter egg and the kind of crappy re modern Clash of the Titans. They kept Ulu or whatever the owl to look just like the one from yeah. the 
Ray Harryhausen films as a nod. But um, yeah, so I, yeah, that was another one I was very inspired. So actually, yes, Clash of the Titans, I get those, that one, and um, Jason and the Argonauts mixed up. Yeah, but absolutely. Yes. Um, 1960s. There used to be a great, I'm really sorry, this no, is no, my last thing. I don't know if it's still around, but there was a great expo. I, I don't even think it exists anymore, but the London Film Museum that used to be at the County House. They used to have a massive Jason and the Argonauts and a Ray Harryhausen exhibition, but I don't even know if that exists anymore. But I don't yeah. think it does. Last time I saw a film exhibition here, it was the Little Tiny James Bond exhibition that's um, mm. by the Transport for London Museum. <laughs> Okay, so now I think that's probably gone. I think Shrek has now taken over or something. Uh, County House, they I mean, always swap things out. You yeah. know, Shrek is love. Shrek is life. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. Next one. Um, uh, but and also notably in 1963, um, that was the first ever Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Uh, oh. And that went to The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, okay. Um, fair enough. Yeah. So that's 1963. So, you know, we're, we're a way away. Um, yeah. <laughs> every year there is always a lovely compilation that somebody somewhere online does where they put a clip of every single film that's won the best special or visual effects award. Um, yes. They add a little clip every year to the end of it. So it's just steadily getting longer and longer. Um, yes. <laughs> so you can see sort of how, how things have progressed. That's always cool to see. That is very cool. It really yeah. is. We are getting in the 60s. We are surprisingly, we're getting to the part where we're starting to use computers to mm. uh, to, to get things going. Um, I think the first CG department in the world, I want to say, um, was in the University of Utah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and that was in 1966. Um, there was a lot of... Um, uh, it's computer graphics, so it's not necessarily the 3D stuff that you would see nowadays. Yes. Um, but some really um, pioneering stuff there, as you would see in that time. Do we have some... Do you have any examples of, like, what films were made using that, like, breaking groundbreaking technology at the time? Westworld. Oh, how funny! 1973's Westworld. Sorry, Future World. Oh, Future Sorry, World. Sorry, no, wait. Okay. 2D CGI was in Westworld, and the first use of 3D imagery was in Future World. Okay. So and this was in 63 or 73? 73. Oh, okay. So it was actually University of Utah grad students who did this. Oh, brilliant. The 3D imagery is a computer-generated hand and a face um, that they, oh. they... I think they actually show it just on a computer screen. Um, so they're not trying to, um, to make you believe that it's real in the world, but they're trying to make you believe that it's a real thing that a computer could do, <laughs> if you know oh, what I mean. I see. Yes, um, yes, yes. So it's, it's still really, really impressive stuff. Um, but yeah, it's uh, future, Westworld and Future World, which is crazy that it's the... The one film and its sequel that end up being the first 2D and the first CJ to 3D. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was students of the University of Utah. Nice. Well, I have a confession. I didn't realize, because you know, obviously Westworld is being big right now on HBO yeah. and things. I didn't realize it was a remake. Really? 
No, I didn't. Oh my god. Yeah. I know. I got I got a massive like pinch from the better half for that. And she I, I get this all the time. She's like, and you call yourself a film. I'm like, don't even. Don't start. <laughs> I get that all the time. I'm like, do not start. Um no. <laughs> but um it's 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 funny because it's actually if you think about it, it's exactly what would have been made in in if if they'd had the technology in 1973. This is exactly what they would have wanted to make. Yes, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all the everything that happens in Westworld. You're like, you've been waiting all this time <laughs> to to <Yeah>. do this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're like, okay, technology finally caught up. <laughs> exactly. Um. So. Again, if we skip ahead, uh, 1975, we see the the teapot, the infamous teapot, which is one of the default um, models that comes with every uh, 3D software. Um, it is somehow somebody decided that this little little item is very humble simple object that also is quite complex because it's got different um, I was going to say curves. I know the answer it's to this the... go on go for it well no 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 the reason why the teapot was chosen was because it's to basically be able to do every form of geometry in the software exactly so you have your your planes your angles your yeah so it it's somehow someone sat there and figured out that a teapot you can get your sphere your plane your you know custom shape and yeah somehow yeah yeah and it <laughs> I don't would, know if um, I explained that very well but no, yes absolutely and it would actually later go on to be um one of the icons of um Pixar's Renderman software um I think I don't know if, I, th- I don't know if it was on their logo for a while but they definitely have um teapot um oh yes teapots that they tea- give out yes at conferences I, 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 Oh, I would love a teapot. I want some teapot swag. So, yes. <laughs> I have Hit seen me one that has, uh, it's a little wind-up teapot with little legs, and it walks across yes. your desk. Um, I know. But, yeah, so. I wanted one. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a weird little icon that we have in, in um, computer graphics. Uh, 1977. I know this one. It's- Go for it, Shannon. <laughs> I think I'm going to feel really stupid if it. it's not. Star Wars. Star Wars. This is like I think I like a lot of people. This was the film that got me inspired by two things: one, filmmaking in general, and two, how does it work and yep. behind the scenes. So I, yes, yes, go ahead, Helen, you first. That's cool. <laughs> um, but for, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's an enormously uh, influential piece of media um obviously it won its oscar um but also george lucas uh created an entirely new company just because he needed someone to do the special effects for this movie um and that doesn't happen every day no so the company that he created of course was industrial light and magic or ilm uh, which you probably have heard us muttering about here and there on the podcast yes Um, absolutely our brothers Yeah, very it's strongly. Still, still going strong, and um, now one of Disney's many pets. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they they do still continue to to churn out 
excellent stuff and the interesting thing about Star Wars as well was it was very much a combination of the old with the new so with the we had talked about stop motion they did stop motion for the creatures like that like the kind of in the second the well I guess this was technically Empire Strikes Back so sorry I'm jumping ahead but anyway they used they used techniques of old and new so you had you know small scale models but then they were like well we have to somehow build a rig and it's funny because this is where we started to kind of get into that territory of some of this is special effects some of this is visual effects yeah and And there's so much technology involved exactly and actually going to our previous episode of our podcast where we were talking about non-linear editing systems and things i actually have to thank george lucas for the software that i am working on today because he created, I'm really sorry, the name is escaping me, but he, that's one of the things that came out of ILM and all these kind of sub groups was the first kind of online, you know, computer-based editing system. And that's why it's called nonlinear. But if you want to hear all about that, that's episode three. So moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, that's fine. Um, But like uh, late seventies as well, we start seeing, um, more films uh, using CG. So you've got things like Alien, obviously. Uh, That was in 1979. And you said that Star Wars was your film that made you go, I want to do that. Alien is my film that made me go, I want to do that. Oh, yay! Uh, (laughs) Alien, famously not a film that 11-year-olds should be watching. Um, Correct. (laughs) But there we go. Uh, I had the mega ultimate box set edition of dvds that had every all four movies as they were at the point uh, and all of the makings of um and it was i would just watch them on repeat um this is exactly what i wanted to do (laughs) uh tell me you know the trivia about the chest bursting scene whether they didn't tell him yes they didn't tell anyone what was going to happen no and i just I love, love that so like that's that's exactly how you do that that sort of scene it works it like, works and the, it wasn't the, a cruel thing to do to people it was just like jumping out at someone yeah yeah like no one got physically harmed like it's not like they didn't know what the scene was like they all read that script they just yeah. didn't know exactly how that was gonna go down yeah like i think is it is it peter peter scarif is that his name the guy that's the captain, the actor that plays the captain, the guy with the beard. Um, oh, I don't know. His on. reaction's the best. We're like, he's just like, oh god. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Tom Skerritt. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, Tom Skerritt. My eye is always drawn to Tom Skerritt. Like his yeah. reaction is the best. Where I mean, all of them. Like it's great, and you do that. And it's funny going back to Star Wars. They did the same for Solo when they when the um, creature in like the Kessel Run or whatever. They basically didn't tell them and they turned a bright light on and it startled them and so yeah they're like they're like Helen has said there is some stories where you get some dodgy oh you know yeah stuff but this one it, oh it worked and absolutely oh, god bless Ridley Scott god yep. bless Ridley Scott yes <laughs> like well done um, <laughs> next milestone is the very first all digital CG image this is in uh, 1982 yes. And this is for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is, again, another iconic movie. Yeah, really. Um, Another really iconic movie. Um, Not necessarily for the CG, but for um, all of its uh, memeability. 
I think. Ah. Um, but yeah, so that was that's the next milestone is uh, 1982. All right, we're I'm I'm two years away from being born. So okay, <laughs> I'm Helen's still, about still eight. away. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Such a baby. What's the next one? The next thing. So 1983, um, we got o- Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, which was Oscar nominated <laughs> somehow. How funny. Um, yeah. So um, this is actually um, done by a company of ex-ILM uh, people. So ILM's now been around long enough for people to have worked there, made a name for themselves and left to form their own companies. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so Ghostbusters again, another ridiculously iconic film. Um, I've got another hot take, which is that the film itself, I don't think, is actually that good. Yeah, I it's, don't think the quality, yeah. the actual film, like the. Uh, I understand that it is cult worthy. It absolutely is, but so is the room. Well, yeah. <laughs> like just because something is cult worthy doesn't mean it's necessarily a good movie. And I think if it had been made today with that quality of script people would have trashed it. And I just don't think the script is that good. And I don't think the performances are that good. (laughs) And I'm going to get so much hate for this. Every every person loves this movie. (laughs) It's it's not the room bad, but I I, I I see what you were trying to say. say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, Mark. Anyway. Exactly. Sorry. We also have, in 1985, um, the first CG character. Who is it? Which is... Oh, God. Okay. You know this. 1985. Is it the T-1000, isn't it? No. Or it's Pixar? Nope. 1985. Pixar's 1990s. And uh, Terminator's 1991. Oh, my God. I suck at life. Oh, fuck. When I say it, you'll kick yourself. I am. Go for it. It is The Stained Glass Night from Young (gasps) Sherlock Holmes. I knew this! Yes! Yes! Okay, I... Yes. Damn it. (laughs) So this is a uh, CG character who is composited onto a live-action background. Um, So so way back in 1963, we had the stop-motion guys that were interacting with live-action, and now we have CG guys interacting with live-action. So that's just a small jump of 23 years. Which is not a lot if you think it in the grand scheme of things. Exactly. And and it's it's actually still I I think it still holds up somewhat. I have. I've seen this clip. I think I remember I mean, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. Because yeah. it's a TV show. Young uh, Sherlock no, Holmes, I don't but, No, no, it's a film. Was it a f- Okay, maybe there was a very brief Oh, I'm thinking young Indiana Jones. Sorry, never mind. Um, <laughs> God. I'm really sucking at life tonight. Um, yes, I, I remember this. And yeah, I mean, there's there are some visual effects that they still hold up that you don't go, ah, ah, look at that. But yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of visual effects that still hold up because they were used exactly as much as they needed to be. I think you find the the films that don't hold up with visual effects in them are ones where they've overused it or they've 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 stre- they've overstretched themselves i feel yeah. like like there's obviously there's being pioneering absolutely um but then there's just using cg where you just don't need to 
Yeah, we're just you, yeah, and it, this definitely gets into kind of the later films. Where it, now it's like absolutely it's kind of like the line. It's like that line from Jurassic Park, which I know we're getting very close to. It's not a matter <laughs> of if we could; it's a matter of if we should. Yes, exactly. And um, I think when we get a little bit more into your section, I have some things to say about some recent movies that I'm hoping that you yes. will be bringing up. Um, <laughs> so, 1986. Pixar is founded. Now, this isn't strictly oh, okay. a visual effects company. Uh, they don't necessarily produce films that you would consider a visual effects movie because it's all fully animated stuff. But what they do produce is software. And yes. we have Renderman, which we mentioned earlier with the teapot. Um, this is still, I would say, industry standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is... They are prolific. <laughs> the stuff that like <laughs> they they produce a lot of stuff um, that uh, pretty much everyone else in the industry uses. Um, Pixar have their own division of software support for other companies. Um, so they are whilst they are making that you know they're making their Incredibles twos and their Cocos and you know Toy Story threes round the corner. They're also supporting every other company that produces visual effects with their random man software, and it is good stuff. And that's that's pretty impressive to not only be the creative side, but then also the behind the scenes technical side. Yeah, there are some companies out there like ILM, like Pixar, um, who are not only producing great um, content, but also great technology. Here's a surprisingly recent one. Um, Howard the Duck, Howard the Actual Duck, which was in 1986, it was the first time we had digital wires removed. Now, wouldn't really? you think that would have been earlier? Because, yeah, like, because that makes me wonder because the that Dark Crystal... That just makes you go, oh my God, they were actually just throwing people against walls. <laughs> How many injuries were there? <laughs> No, 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 I'm sorry. I guess I was thinking puppets and things because Howard the Duck being a puppet. Yeah, but so that's I'm, what but I'm just thinking if that's removal. the first time they're doing wire removal, what have they been doing for stunts? People have just well, been dying. That's why, well, that's why Buster Keaton was such a legend. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, oh my but God. yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Is it's, um, I just think this is surprisingly recent. Yeah, it's for no, 1986. Absolutely. It's literally in my lifetime. <laughs> and I'm not that old, damn it. We've gotten there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we also, in um, the end of the 80s, so 1988, I think it was, we got Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, I, yes. Which I was, love this, this movie. Was, this one really got me as as a kid because obviously it's Disney and Looney Tunes. There's there's an interesting fact for you both are in there. Um, but the, the scene that scared me was when the Christopher Lloyd character went from live action to like cartoon and he was like flat and walking around and uh, but how I remember sitting there as a kid wondering how they got this live action dude with this car- cartoon character because obviously I could tell they didn't belong in the same world together and how again they seamlessly interacted and that's me at like five years old like wow how did they do it so yeah i'm really happy to see who framed roger rabbit is on this list because it's yeah it's i love this movie honestly (laughs) it's such a scary movie and it should not have been shown to kids um no but here we go it's great um and it's what started a whole generation of people who now go frame by frame to see if they can see naughty bits yeah 
<laughs> Thank you, Jessica Rabbit. Yep. <laughs> uh, we also, um, 1988, gave us Willow. Is this one you've seen? No, actually, I am very ashamed to say I should, but no, I have not seen Willow. This is another one where the um, effect is kind of iconic and you can definitely see it on YouTube. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's written down as the first digital morph. Um, so we've got a character that turns from like a goat into an ostrich and then into like a tiger oh, and then into okay. her. Um, it's not like... Um, like feature for feature so you don't see like the ostrich eyes turn into tiger eyes or anything like that um yeah but it's um but it, it's the first time that we see that kind of effect on screen oh cool next exciting thing and i say exciting and also slightly bittersweet um rhythm and hues also appeared at the end of the 80s um and oh, okay. they were doing so let me just quickly run through some of the things that these guys worked on and it tells you so much about them um jetson's the movie hocus pocus mm -hmm. oh i love hocus pocus world batman oh, okay. forever babe pig in the city okay <laughs> x-men i mean to be fair, mouth augmentations and things, that was a, that Absolutely. Was a thing. So. Yeah, they did Cats and yeah. Dogs. Uh, they did Scooby-Doo, Stuart Little. Um, oh, so so they definitely were known for the animals. Absolutely. Um, I actually, um, at university, I did a... Um, my final year project, my sort of thesis, was um, about... It's actually very timely, considering the, the world we're living in right now, this second. And it was a entire paper about transforming 2d animated characters into 3d animated characters and what oh. um what features to keep what features you could get away with changing and getting rid of um i did a load of work on silhouettes and facial recognition and just i just went into all sorts of different weird little things and i made a 3d model of ursula from the little mermaid and oh, brilliant. I would love somehow to see this. graduated with a degree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I had hey, a huge... I made a Joan of Arc. Yours sounds like 10 times Everyone did mine. Joan of Arc. <laughs> I just, no, I had, I had to do a superhero. I had to model a superhero. And then I was just like, okay, I'm going to do Joan of Arc. One, because then I could cheat and I didn't have to do the muscles. Because yep. then I was like, oh, she's wearing chain mail. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Rhythm and Hughes came in in the end of the 80s and they did an awful lot of those um, animated talking animal type movies. Mm. Um, and it's it's fun to see the kind of niches that people fall into. <laughs> yes, because we, we had touched on this in a previous episode that definitely different companies and things have their strengths. So Absolutely. yes, they, yeah. were, they were the kind of the creature house and the animal yeah. house for a while. Exactly. The here's here's another sort of maybe not surprisingly recent, but 1990 uh, for mm -hmm. Die Hard Two, it was the first digital matte painting. Oh, okay. And obviously we had we had matte paintings back in 1902, um, but it just I'm surprised that it's taken until 1990 to get the first full digital matte painting. Interesting, right? Yeah, because I would have, yeah, that's the thing, because again, even 
us in the industry as as of this moment a lot of the things you know that we discussed in our pipeline episode and things we we're talking about things that some things are not even like 10 years old so that's that's quite fascinating exactly. so, I mean, obviously obviously that's technically 20 but that's what i'm saying they're still very recent in the grand scheme of things yeah next we're finally hitting 1991 and one of the best movies ever made terminator 2 judgment day um which obviously had the iconic t1000 which is probably the obviously there have been cg that there was cg work between 1985 and 1991 but this is probably the the next significant digital character that we see it it really took it to another level like a whole another level and yeah it like it's it still it still looks good today like i say it holds up I say. Yes, very much so. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Another fun thing that happened during this time, um, where were we? Nineteen oh the nineteen twenties we had stop motion starting up. Um yes. we moved to Go Motion, which uh is something that Phil Tippett from iconic Tippett Studios created for dragon slayer and uh we obviously see that in jurassic park in 1993 which is yes. my next uh big milestone yes. this is my other one that i geek out exactly. a lot about yep. <laughs> this was this is my if uh, it, this is my like companion to star wars is the jurassic park yeah because a little tidbit i might be stealing a little bit of helen's thunder i apologize Go for it. the dinosaurs were the dinosaurs were originally going to be stop motion yes they were and they they were they had all these film tests and things like that and then somebody i believe it was ilm said actually come here Stephen. yeah we want to show you something yeah we're, we've just been testing and this thing out we don't know if it'll work but here's this. But here we're going to show a walk cycle of a Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. And it just was, it was just like, there it is. And the nice thing is, though, Phil Tippett, they still used models, they still used that stop motion or go motion to help do kind of the walk cycles and things yes. and a little bit of the pre visualization, I believe. They did. Of the scenes and whatnot. So they didn't go, but that's why actually the line when they say, what do you think? And he says, I think we're out of a job. Oh, don't you mean extinct was actually the stop motion. It was actually said behind the scenes that the stop motion animators said it to the computer animators yep. and they kept it and they actually put it in the film as a little nod. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just, and you want to talk about a film that holds up. Yes, like, absolutely. And this oh is another one of those cases where I say less is more, right? Because yes. those dinosaurs, if you break it down again, this is another one of those ones where I get I get addicted to behind the scenes material. Um, those dinosaurs have probably got about eleven bones in their entire body. Yeah, we are building characters right now with the entire two hundred and six bone skeleton of a human, and <laughs> we don't need like obviously we do because we know we've got things to do with it. But they were able to create those dinosaurs with eleven bones. Yeah. And we are doing full skeletons right now. <laughs> I also think, another little quick trivia bit, I think Jurassic Park was also the first film to have a facial replacement in it. 
Was it? Could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I remember watching the behind the scenes and when Lex, the blonde girl, falls through the ceiling and the raptor jumps up, basically the stunt double looked at the camera and they to obviously spot the person to pull her up. And they just then somehow took a freeze frame of the actress and pasted it on. I challenge you to look at it and tell me if you can tell. But yes, I, and I want to say it's one of the first facial replacements because I had to because the take was perfect and things like that. Yeah. But yes. So yes, it was. I could be wrong. People can attack me in the comments section, but I want to say it was one of the first facial replacements. Yeah. Um, used in a film as well. Yeah. Um, I actually forgot to mention one of my favorite films, uh, which was in 1992. Which one? which is Death Becomes Her. Oh, yes. Um, So the end of this movie has these two essentially immortal women fighting and Meryl Streep plays one of them and she has had her head twisted 180. Um, So she's walking around with her head on backwards, basically. And it's it's, it's a a completely insane movie and it's wonderful. And... um, (laughs) It's very much a Helen film. It's so good. Um, But it's... um, (laughs) It's not necessarily a, a huge landmark, um, but it was a like a, a a use of of CG. I think they were going for like they were doing they weren't going for they were doing like photorealistic skin, um, so that you couldn't tell that it wasn't just like a prosthetic or you know an actual yeah. they actually you know killed Meryl Streep. Um, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's just some really really impressive stuff, and I just love Death Becomes Her. Nice. Um, so 1994 it's time for the flintstones the mask the wildebeest scene from the lion king yes which uh true yes, lies the use of like two and a half d yes exactly um so we are getting into the point where people are realizing what it is they can do with these um softwares and they're really pushing pushing the boundaries with them um We've also got um, CG stunt doubles in Batman Forever, uh, which I oh, believe okay. was another one of those um, Rhythm and Hughes ones. I'd say that's a Rhythm and Hughes, yeah. Yeah. Um, like it, I don't know if they necessarily did that work because, as we've said before, oh, several companies can work on the same show at once, same film at once. Of course. Um, but yeah, so we've got um, CG stunt doubles. Like This is 1995. We've got... Um, uh, CG uh, like capes and hair and we're seeing a lot more simulation um, mm-hmm. Babe got an Academy Award for special effects nice Babe pig in the like the talking pig <laughs> <laughs> it got an award for its special effects that's mouth flaps on a pig uh, that'll do pig that'll exactly do. <laughs> crazy um, 1999 Woo, we're getting close to the end of your bit. We are. We are so close. And it's got two very important movies in it. Yes. One is Star Wars Episode One. Yes. Which was a like a two thousand shot film, which even now yeah. that's a big show. Yes. Like most most visual effects films. I would like if you exclude things like um 
like Infinity War and your your current gen stuff where they're all just every character's flipping CG. Um, yes. But like generally you're seeing maybe 500 to 1200 shots. Um, yes. As a sort of an average, but 2000 is enormous. Yes. And you know who that was? ILM. No, no, sorry. Not the company. The character. <laughs> oh, sorry. Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, no, of course it was ILM. I apologize. Yes, uh, it was Jar Jar Binks. But um, yes, because actually Ahmed Best, which bless him, got so much crap after this film. Yeah, bless. Um, who was the actor that played him, actually was on set. He yep. was in costume, everything. And I actually just watched this the other day, the behind the scenes of The Phantom Menace. And it was the same thing like Jurassic Park, where they were like, actually, George come here and they had a side by side of the performance yeah and they the subtleties they were able to do but it kind of made the budget balloon because they were like oh god okay now we have this main character who they were they were hoping was gonna make was gonna be like one of the pivotal characters of that prequel trilogy yep. which yeah <laughs> not so much which i mean um, if you if you go by the fan theories that he's actually a Sith Lord. <laughs> a Sith Lord. I love it. Those are some of my favorite. I mean, Ben, oh you're God. not wrong. He was a pivotal character. <laughs> but um, so yeah, they had they. That's where they were just like, oh, okay, we're gonna have to make a full CG yep. character and do all this replacements and things like that. Yeah. So yes, exactly. 1999 also saw the Matrix. I was going to say, got to be The Matrix as well. Um, which, obviously, uh, all absolutely excellent, except for that one part with lots of Agent Smiths. Where Actually, a... that's the second one, and that's in mine. Cool, okay, then in that <laughs> case, delete me. Because I've got complaints about that. Um, yeah, we could talk about that, because that's The Matrix Reloaded. Um, yep. But okay, in that case, I'm going to tell you what my what I think should be the mo second most important film in this year, and that's The Mummy. The Mummy is one of the best films that's ever been made. It is unapologetically hammy. It does not care. It is. It the visual effects are mwah. just just to cl just to clarify. We're talking, we are to talking about Fraser the Brendan Fraser. Okay. <laughs> Wait, there's no cross wires here. I'm talking about 1999's Brendan Fraser epic, The Mummy. It is, it is honestly, it's one of my favorite films of all time. When I say Alien got me into this, The Mummy got me into this. It's a good movie. The visual effects are all absolutely excellent yes and the original one yes we will you know, let's not talk about the scorpion king and the second not, one no that's not what i'm saying i'm talking first mummy that is oh, I, I am going to also bring up that there is a fight with um rick and the mummies at the end of this movie which is a direct callback to oh, gosh, the skeletons yeah. from jason and the argonauts oh, so gosh, how's that yeah, for a absolutely. callback Oh yeah, you and they had to, but yeah, the the degeneration or the opposite, the regeneration of the mummy. Oh, it was so in the good. And the, it was good. The little yes. scarab that crawls out of his chest and then it goes oh. up his neck and then he eats it and it's really good and then he turns into a sand monster. Oh, it's yes. good. It's a good movie. It's well it made. Everything about it is exceptional. I can recite it word for word. I can recite all the special Brilliant. features word for word. It is a good <laughs> movie, and you cannot edit any of that out because I believe I in won't. it. 
I won't. <laughs> just going to yell about the mummy for the next 20 minutes. I will yell for about the mummy. I will yell about venom. So it's your turn. So now we have hit, yes, we have now hit the millennium. I've done 80 so- years. You can do 20. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> So my first one, actually, this one was really quite surprised me. And this is in um, 2000. And it was actually for the film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And basically, they filmed the film and it was this lovely green. And they were like, oh, that we want it to be a hot, summery, bleak. You know, it's like the 1930s Dust Bowl kind of depression era. So this was the first film that had a digital color grade. Which that's basically it, surprisingly recent as well. Exactly, and when I say yes, of course, things have been color graded in the past. But this, what makes this di- different by being a digital color grade, was they literally scanned the entire film into the computer, and then that's where they messed with all the colors and things like that. So I was very surprised by that. That was the first film to be color graded. Yep. And now it is very much a common practice in everything. Like we kind of spoke in our pipeline episode and things, imaging or grading or whatever the departments are called, they are your friend because yes. we have to set up version color zeros science. now to, oh yeah, oh man, you want to talk about a degree. Whew. Yep. Mad props all our color science people out there. You're awesome. So next we are moving on to 2000 where our friends at ILM for the film The Perfect Storm, they needed to have massive storms and waves and things like that. So they actually did the first weather simulation, the first digital weather simulation. Yep. So you could see those wide shots uh, see, I don't of know. the ships. I might have to jump in because I think we had Twister in the 80s. Does that count? Twister was Twister was the 90s. It was 1994. Oh my god, to me it, that was like 1989. I am really bad at remembering no. that one. Yeah, I I just remember cuz again being a military kid, I could tell you almost everything year for year because I moved every year. But Excellent. Cool. Yeah, the thing the thing with Twister though, it did it wasn't massive liquid simulation. That's true. I was it, just thinking about weather. It, my bad. Yes. No, it's all good. No, no, no. All good. But because of this perfect storm weather simulation, then that opened the doors up for like 2004's, um, you know, what was it called? Day After Tomorrow and The Life of Pi and things like that. And so now, I mean, God, so I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean films wouldn't be what they were if it wasn't for this. So hats off to ILM for 2000's A Perfect Storm. So, um, next we are moving on to the Lord of the Rings. This is what we kind of touched on and everything. And this was actually from our friends in Weta. And they created the first crowd simulation. Now, actually, the technology itself was developed way back in 1996. This is how long Lord of the Rings was in pre-production. They literally were making this software in 1996, yeah. where the first Lord of the Rings, I don't think, came out till what, 2001-ish? Ooh, yeah. Uh, I wish my friend Hannah, no, my friend Hannah would know this. But I, I do remember 2003 was definitely one of those years. It Hang definitely on. was like my senior year of high school, but... Uh, it was yeah, I, da, 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 2001. <laughs> Ah, okay, That's great. Crazy so 2001. Because yeah. I, I have very, 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 very strong memories of high school and meeting somebody yep. for the first time and 
and she just would not stop talking about Lord of the Rings. And we went to the cinema and we like we saw the trailer for it and she was freaking out. I'd never heard of it. And yeah. she was absolutely flipping out about this movie coming out. Yeah. And so that's how that's how long it was gosh. in pre-production. So yes, Weta created the first crowd simulations, and then that opened up the door for again things like our Game of Thrones, World War Z was another one that did lots of crowd simulations and things. And to to, to the point now, it's its own department. Yeah, we now have crowd departments. We've covered this in the pipeline episode if you'd like to hear more about that. But yes, it's episode now its two. own department. Yep. Oh, thank you. She's good at this. <laughs> I can remember um, everything except for the year that Twister came out. I'm really sorry, had there, but I've just looked it up and it's 1996. Oh, is it 96? <laughs> we okay, and you, okay, 1996. But I remember all the meteorologists, like Andy Wallace was the name I remembered, that um, their their actual voices were in the background. So, okay, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, 1996. Okay, I was still in Oklahoma at the time, but yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so, here's one that shows how a quote like universally panned film can still bring on new revolutions and i am talking about final fantasy spirits within yes and it actually was the first film that started our lovely motion capture which of course nowadays if you hear motion capture the first thing that pops into your head is Gollum yep. from Lord of the Rings, which actually was just that year next. So basically, because of Final Fantasy Spirit, it was in motion capture and recording a full digital character, you know, was then literally implemented the next year yep. into um, the second Lord of the Rings film. And the, if, the you, two towers. if you, uh, I'm going to go for another hot take. I'm full of them tonight. Um, go for it. Spirits Within is a good movie. If you ignore the Uncanny Valley stuff, it's yes. creepy to look at. But the this is what I'm saying about <laughs> Ghostbusters, right? The quality of the script, yes. the quality of the the performances, I think is better yeah. than people give it credit for because of how creepy the faces are. Yeah. Yes. And that's actually what a lot of my kind of things for this last kind of 20 some odd years or 10, 15 years. It, it's interesting that some of the things that you're like, uh, but it did. It opened up the doors. So, yes, uh, Final Fantasy Spirit Within did the motion capture and things like that. Kind of dovetailing into that, we have the company Image Metrics, and they created the facial capture for the second Matrix film so that scene that helen was speaking about earlier yep. where we had all the different agent smiths and things this is where and they later did it for the video game la noir but they basically <laughs> had i mean they still do it no they actually still do it for i know it sounds ridiculous they still use this technology now to do action figures and things i'm really sorry but, um, but like the quality like the quality is exactly the same between that movie and that game that you've just mentioned Oh yeah, and that's, and that game, that's at least quite a, eight years apart. Yeah, and the quality is exactly yeah. the same. So is that a good game yeah. or a bad movie? That that scene is fine with all the Agent Smiths. It's fine until he starts doing that part where he runs around the mall and he's got a stick plonked into the floor and he's well, doing his run the cut, and it's the, awful. The, the, it's the worst digi double I've ever seen. Terrible. And I'm talking and I'm oh, including God, and the Harry Potter one where he gets picked up by the troll and like gets thrown around. I'm including that digi double of Daniel Radcliffe at eleven years old. And I would say that is a better digi double than Neo. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, the image uh, metrics basically would take all these cameras and would basically take images. I mean, they would even get the inside of the person's mouth. And that's what and they still use this technique to this day for texture and things for assets and whatnot. But that's how and they could be able to basically then paste that on a 3D model and things. Yep. But um, so, yes, that was what was in the set, second Matrix film. Again, moving, we talked about Uncanny Valley. That would also now lead us into a very big Uncanny Valley, and that is Polar Express. Oof, but that is a movie. Polar Express, where we had Tom Hanks play five different characters, it was the first film to have facial markers. Huh. So, yes, it was. So that's, that's where they started getting. They just still couldn't quite get the eyes right. Um, and they still got the first to this film. day. Uh, they um, but that was the first film to use facial markers in their motion capture. So kind of getting out of the world of motion capture, because that again, that's really what's a lot prominent. We're kind of yep. now going back to set. So 2004's Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow was actually the first film to make um a, a full digital world. A full CG world. Um, and it actually, would, they shot the film twice. So they would shoot all the actors on the green screen and everything, and then they would film with the di- completely digital backgrounds and things. And actually, this film was uh, funded by a 1994-made like uh, trailer to get the funding. So that's how long it took. It took them 10 years to get this film made. It's, but um, It's actually a pretty good it- movie. I love it, and it also was they kind. Um, they also they are another thing. It's it's not quite a like a visual effects revolution, but they were able to resurrect Laurence Olivier yeah. to be like almost like this Wizard of Oz, and it is done quite well. Like unlike like Tarkin in Rogue One, I'm sorry, come at me. I think some C- some other digi doubles are better. I'm looking at you, Arnie and uh, Rachel, but Tarkin was just a bit. Mm. But the thing is, kind of as we were discussing earlier, the less is more. The um, the Laurence Olivier worked out quite yeah. well. I actually really enjoy Sky Captain. It was one of the films I actually had to kind of write or watch and take notes on before I started my visual effect degree here in London in 2010, and I actually really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I loved all the Easter eggs too. But anyway, that's a whole other rant, and or you know another time but um yes so sky 2004's sky captain was the first one to have a complete digital backlot moving on we are now into the year 2005 and pirates of the caribbean had come out before but when they had the character of davy jones yes uh uh-huh love this movie love this character love this everything this film is what really changed. Again, we wouldn't have our Thanos and things like that today if it wasn't for this film. Then the reason why is because we had what they called emo cap, I M O C A P, which basically is on-set motion capture, and that's where now you have famously see the actors in the checkered shirts and hats and the facial markers and everything like that, but they're on set. They're not on this digital playground basically so they basically instead they brought them on location and pirates of the caribbean the second one um pirates of the caribbean the second one (laughs) that's what we're calling it from now on i think it's dead man's chest yes it's dead man's chest (laughs) but but no from now on we're just going to call it pirates of the caribbean the second one (laughs) 
<laughs> it's late. Be nice. <laughs> Um, so yes, that was the, <laughs> that's what started that. And again, that has now, because of that has now become practice. And that's where you can see now a lot of the before and after shots pretty much for any character. Again, Thanos is a big one that, yeah, you've got the guys on set. You've got a little camera, a head mounted camera pointed at their faces. They're acting, they're interacting with the people on set. Um, it's a lot, it's easier for the actors to be able to interact with someone. It's easier for the guys giving the performance as the characters Correct. to have somebody to interact with because otherwise they're just like Benedict Cumberbatch on a, for some reason, on a green screen pretending to be a dragon. Don't know why that was a thing that decided to happen. Um, but you just end up with people on oh, he's green. Oh, so good at it though. Like, <laughs> you just end up with people he... on green screens pretending to do things and yes. no one's got their like sight lines quite right and everyone's yes. looking at straight like the wrong place and just having people on set is such a underrated thing yes and it really helps the actors and again you just want that collaboration and actually it's funny that you mention cameras and things showing at the face because <laughs> actually that was then uh avatar was our next one so 2006 avatar 2006? that one really i thought it was 2009 uh-huh. Well, no, but that's when the technology started. Oh, right. Okay. So I guess it's kind of this gap year. So because yeah, my next one is, um, yeah, it jumps a bit. So the but now we're talking about Avatar. Now Avatar did a couple things here. So yes, they really revolutionized the facial capture, and now this is the the standard practice that you see, where you have this tiny little camera with a light, and that's how you they were finally able to get the subtleties. In the, in the eyes and the performance of the actors and things. Uh, you know, again, say what you will about the story of Avatar. The technology is quite something. And also, it really... really hold up on that movie. Yes. And it's really kind of what started what now is starting to be used as virtual production. Basically, oh my God, the list goes on. They were able in real time to capture the motion capture on live stages. So they were able to make the motion capture area massive like you know usually traditionally in traditional motion capture it's i think about a nine oh i'm rusty nine twelve nine to twelve camera setup and it's like a five foot by five foot square and that's all you've got to track with avatar they were able to open that up and they were they would be able to do these scenes where they were running and bouncing over things and because of that that has also revolutionized gaming a lot of like so things like um the last of us and other things like that nowadays um uncharted is another one you're able to capture these performances and these little nuances because of avatar and their virtual production So that was the first thing. They opened the stage up to be massive so that you could have all this more room. The other thing is they started with these digital cameras that you can now, you know, the director could literally hold like an iPad looking thing and he could look and see what the camera would see. and He could see the set and then what the characters kind of looked like. They weren't obviously fully CG rendered and anything like that, but he could show the actors, okay, this is kind of what you're looking at. So you're not looking at a box with squares. This is kind of what... Yeah, this you know, is uh, Pandora. Yeah, this is, is going to look like your forest that you're looking um, at. Or whatever. Next, we have almost the opposite, and it is 2013's Gravity, or maybe 2014. 13, I th- well, no, sorry, it won the Oscar in 13, yes. right? Yes. So 2012, 2013. Yes, it definitely won the 2013 Oscar yeah, 2013. Uh, for Gravity. 
it was the first they it was the first film that they pre-visualized the entire film. It was the first film that was ever completely pre-visualized. Um, and also what it did was it was brought it had the first real world lighting applied to the actor. So even though the suits were all digital rendering, they were able to basically it was the opposite. They brought the set to the actors instead of bringing the actors to the set in the CG world, they brought the CG world to set. Yep. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The other way around. So they were able to capture because that's another thing that was really letting a lot of visual effects down, and it's very difficult. It's such a subtle thing, but if you get it wrong, it doesn't work. Is lighting? Yeah. So Alfonso Colvron came up with this idea. With obviously, uh, Frame Store was the main studio that worked on it. I think it was the only studio that worked on it. And they were able to build these massive light rigs where you could have the scene projected on uh, on set and you would get the reflections and the lights on uh, Sandra Bullock yeah. and things like that. And they also created a um, remote rig of the camera, which was quite dangerous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, that's that's kind of like the rumor and things like that, that they were going to go see if they, they asked Sandy if they wanted to test it. She was like, nope, let's do it. And then luckily it malfunctioned after they did all their filming. Again, that's a little bit of an urban story and I might have some of my facts mixed around, but yeah, it um, is quite something. And yeah, and also, so that was used later for passengers as well. Yep. They used that same idea and that same technology. So when... Um, Chris uh, Chris Pratt is outside blocking the thing. It was the same concept, literally just two years later. And same for Solo. That's how they now then did all the lighting for the Millennium Falcon. Everything in that is, that's not digitally replaced. That was on set. So when they go to Lightspeed the first time, those reactions from the actor yeah. are genuine. So that it's quite interesting that we kind of keep bouncing back and forth from going on set to offset to on set and yeah, so basically building this massive light box to fit proper real world lights yep, yep. in it. Um, finally, wrapping it up, we're going into uh, one very near and dear to our hearts is uh, 2016's The Jungle Book, where it really, we, it was a massive undertaking because it was one human actor and everything else was completely created digitally. I mean, from down to the least. And I still have arguments with my mother about this. <laughs> Do you? To this day, she swears that there is real jungle there. There is no. not. <laughs> I, I want to I again, this is completely speculation. I don't know this uh, from an inside point of view. I want to say they tried, but <laughs> I know there was, there was on set... The same thing, kind of the same principle that Gravity did. There was on-set uh, lighting and things. So, like, when Mowgli's running away um, from the... Not Wildebeests. Uh, buffalo. Water buffalo. What was it? Yeah, Water Buffaloes. That that lighting was there, and so people had, like, a thing. So there was some on-set techniques, Absolutely, but yes, it yeah. literally was uh, Neil Sethi. That was it. It was just him on there. And, uh, but yeah, we, they were able to use some of that technology from Avatar and Gravity and apply that into it so he could kind of see what he was looking at. But it was also very simple sets as well. So like when he's walking beside Blue, it literally was just this revolving blue screen circle. Yep. And they just kept walking and they were able to, so even they went back to come some simple things as well so that's the thing sometimes you don't need to have always the most complex massive 
visual effect things to get the effect he needs. Exactly. And I think kind of in kind of in wrapping this, it's all about not if you you know could, it's if you should kind exactly. of thing. And knowing that balance of when to go very extravagant and when to not. Yeah. Quick shout out to sphervfx.com, which is where I got my full uh, timeline. Sometimes when someone does the work for you of just putting this all in order, it's just the most wonderful thing. So just shout out to that website, sphervfx.com, for for having that all ready for me. Yes, thank you. Um, If you like this, please hit the like and subscribe. And where can they find us, Helen? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, at PendingFinal on facebook is at pending final and on instagram (laughs) the odd one out is at pending final podcast so thank you very much and we will see you guys next time bye bye